This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Lord, we bless your name today. Thank you for the incredible privilege that we have to do that together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit uh, who works uh, in our hearts through your word. And we pray that as we dig into it right now, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us, encounter us, transform us. And so we lift up these next minutes to you. Lord, we, we know that there are incredible things that you can do in our lives as your spirit speaks. And so Lord, give us just open, vulnerable, transparent, uh, receptive hearts for what you would say and speak to us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to uh, Romans. If you are new with us today, we are walking through the book of Romans uh, together. And so uh, just kind of going verse by verse through one of the greatest books in the Bible. And we have come to the great eight, the great eighth chapter of the book of Romans, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And so Sunday before last, we kind of introduced chapter eight and just looked at verse one. And today we're going to kind of drill down. We're going to re review a little bit because it's been a couple of weeks. Um, review a little bit in verse one and then kind of drill down um, in verses two through four, um, especially. But we're talking about life in the spirit. And so I want to, I'm going to read the first 13 verses. We will not get that far today. We're really just going to kind of walk through uh, verse, verse four uh, today and sort of uh, just continue to, in these next few Sundays, just to talk about uh, life in the spirit. So let's look at God's word together and let's stand in honor of the author of God's word and let's look um, here at, at Romans, Romans 8, and uh, we'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 13. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemns sin and the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if in the, by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. May God bless his word today to our understanding. You can be seated. Well, Christian author Dave Ferguson uh, grew up in Chicago in the 1960s as a passionate fan of the Chicago Cubs. And if you were growing up in Chicago in the 1960s as a Cubs fan, then one of your heroes in life was a guy named Ernie Banks. Uh, Ernie Banks was beloved uh, by Cubs fans, not only because of his Hall of Fame talent, but because of his contagious enthusiasm for the game. Ernie Banks' favorite expression was, let's play two. And so one, uh, one day uh, as a kid, uh, Dave and his class were on this, this field trip and their class had had lunch at the Berghoff restaurant in Chicago. And they were, as they were walking out of the restaurant that day, who was walking in but Ernie Banks? <laughs> and so Dave uh, looked at his, his buddy and they kind of like, you know, together recognized who this was and they looked at each other and said, that's Ernie Banks, <laughs> you know? And so the two boys uh, turned around and, uh, and, and, and followed him back into the restaurant and asked him for his autograph. Well, not only did Ernie Banks uh, give them his autograph, but he went around and he loved on every single single child in that class, and then he talked to their teacher, and then Ernie Banks announced to the class, he says, I think today would be a great day for you guys to take a tour of Wrigley Field. And so, you know, sometimes um, when we meet famous people, they burst our bubble, don't they? Um, because, you know, they turn out to be like cold or just jerks. Well, Ernie Banks was everything that they had hoped that he would be uh, and a whole lot more. But up, up until that day, they didn't know him. They knew about Ernie Banks, but they did not know Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks was somebody that they, they knew about, you know, they cheered for as they were sitting up in the stands at Wrigley Field or maybe watching him on TV. Uh, they had looked at his stats on the back of his baseball card, but they really didn't know him. They knew about him. You know, I, th I think there are a lot of Christians that are that way when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we've heard a lot about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure that how many, how many believers are relating intimately to the Holy Spirit. You know, if we are believers here today, we have the Holy Spirit. We couldn't have become a believer without the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so listen, if you're here today as a believer, you are a believer because the Holy Spirit brought regeneration to your heart. And he enabled you to trust in Christ. He, he, he brought you from death to life spiritually and opened the eyes of your heart and enabled you 
to, to see G who Jesus is and to turn to him and to trust him. So you could not be a believer apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, dwells within you today. But the issue is, is, is are we intimately relating to the Spirit New Testament scholar Scott McKnight has written a, a wonderful new book called Open to the Spirit. And he talks about kind of growing up in a circle of uh, believers whose theology was sort of like this. Scott says, our theology was one of the Father and the Son, and the Spirit was ignored, neglected, or minimized. At best, the Spirit got third place. But then we come to the Bible. <laughs> and one of the advantages of, of, of walking through books of the Bible, like we're doing with Romans, is that we get a balanced diet. You know, we get the whole counsel of God's word. And when we come to the eighth chapter of Romans, I mean, what do we, what do we see here? What do we just read in, in verses 1 through 13? I mean, in just the, just the first half of the, of the eighth chapter of Romans, you know, there are like 19 references to the, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk for the next few weeks about life in the Spirit. And, and today we're going to especially look at verses, um, verses 2 through 4. So we see here, first of all, that in verse 2, that the Spirit is our liberator. He is the liberator. So, so let's, uh, let's look at what Paul says here in verse 2. He says, for the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, before we kind of uh, dig into verse 2, uh, I want us to uh, review what we talked about from verse 1 Sunday before last. So Sunday before last, we, we kind of uh, looked at, just kind of walked through uh, verse 1, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we talked about the fact that that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus took our condemnation for us. He took the condemnation that we deserved. He was condemned in our place. And he took that condemnation in our place on the cross. But we talked about the fact that that means more than just kind of avoiding the condemnation of hell in the future. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that means that we get to live all of life under the banner of no condemnation. So it's not just about what happens when we die. It's about the way that we live we get to live lives in, under the banner and the freedom of no condemnation. And so verse 2 tells us about that freedom. It says the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what do we see here in verse 2? It talks about two laws, right? Contrast two laws. The law of the spirit of life 
and the law of sin and death. In Greek, the word for law was namas, which means sort of like a, a power or a binding authority. And so before Jesus saved us, it's saying here that, that we lived life under the, the power and the binding authority of sin and death. We were like the person that we talked about in much of chapter 7 who knew God's will and right from wrong, but who was powerless to live it out and who was, was under the domination of sin and headed for a future, going down a highway where the only exit is marked hell. Because the death here in sin and death refers not just to you know, physical death, it refers to eternal separation from God, okay? And so before Jesus, that was our present and that was our future. You know, it was um, fascinating uh, one night in, in Thailand. Martin and Carrie uh, took us to kind of a, a Thai cultural production. And of course, uh, Thai people are, are, are Buddhist. And, and so uh, part of this production was, it was really kind of giving the Buddhist worldview. And there was a scene in sort of this, this dramatic uh, musical production uh, in which the narrator comes on and says in, in English that, you know, as Thais, we believe in the concept of karma, that what you have done in this life is going to come back upon you in the next. And so, you know, there's just flames going on on stage and people dressed like demons uh, that are prancing around. And then up on the screen, they project all, like a series of sins. Um, all, of these, all of these sins, and they say, if you do this sin, then this is what's going to happen to you in hell. This is going to be your karma. And if you're guilty of this sin, this is going to come back upon you in the future in hell. And it's just sin after sin after sin. No hope of redemption. No hope of a savior. And as we drove away that night, Carrie explained that all these sins that had been flashed up, <laughs> these are sins that, that, that are rampant. In Thai culture, these are the sins that people are committing on a regular basis. And, and this is, the, the, the narrator is saying, this is what's coming back on your head. This is going to be your future. No hope. No hope of, of redemption, of, of a savior. L listen, um, th this, was, this is what Paul is, is talking about. You know, when he talks about living life under the power and the binding authority of, of, of sin and death. It's, it's, it's being trapped kind of in the situation where you, can, where you, you, you know kind of uh, God's, uh, God's law, but yet you don't have the power uh, or the desire to obey and your future is just gonna be eternal separation from him, okay? But then what happens? What happens? The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What happened? Jesus happened. And so what does Paul say there in chapter 7 and verses 24 and 25? After all, he spends all this time you know, talking about what it's like for this person to live under the law of sin and death. He says in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? 
from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus saved us. But he didn't just save us to keep us from going to hell when we die. It says here the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He set us free to live radically transformed lives. And so we're going to talk about that in verses 3 and 4. Let's talk about how God has set us free. How God has set us free. Verse 3. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So let's just kind of walk through uh, verse 3 here uh, bit by bit. What's, what's, what's Paul talking about here? He says... For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So Paul here is talking about what God's law can and cannot do. What, what his law is designed to do and what it's not designed to do. Now, we talked about this when we were in chapter 3, and so look at the screen, um, and let's just kind of review what Paul said there in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3. He said there, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who were under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so, what, what was God's law intended to do? Give us knowledge of sin. What is God's law not designed to do? Save us from our sins, okay? So God gave us his law to show us what sin is, but, but the law was never designed to justify us, to make us right with God. That only comes through Jesus and, and faith in Jesus. And so, look again at verse three. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so again, we, no condemnation is a reality for us as believers because Jesus took the condemnation that we deserve in our place. He bore our sins and his own body on the cross. And what a blessing to share this message with people this week. Um, I mentioned the ministry to refugees that's, that's happening there uh, in, in Bangkok. And some of you have had a chance to be a part of this before as teams have gone out uh, from our, our church. Um, but it's kind of twofold. Um, 
part of, part of that ministry is, is visiting uh, refugees at a, a place called uh, the IDC, which is like a detention center. And this is where uh, the Thai immigration uh, police have picked up refugees um, and placed them in a really, really horrible situation there. And what makes it even more horrible is that uh, in many cases, families have been separated from other family members and that should break our hearts whether it happens in Bangkok, Thailand or whether it happens at the border of our own country. But part of uh, the ministry takes place at the IDC and so we, we go and we visit people there and you know, you're behind a fence and they're behind a fence and they're about six or seven feet away from you but uh, you know, you're, able to, you're able to talk with them and you're able to, to pray with them there. And part of the ministry is visits and homes. Um, and these are visits to refugees. These people have been forced to flee other countries uh, in Asia uh, because of persecution uh, that is happening uh, there. And so in desperation, uh, they have fled to Bangkok. Some of them are Christians. Many of them are uh, Muslims. And so... Uh, Courtney and Carrie and I, uh, along with uh, a, another believer who, who speaks the, the language of, of, of these refugees, uh, were able to, to go and, and, and just make a lot of visits to people. And these people were holed up in apartments, in some cases large families, just in kind of, kind of one room, and everybody kind of sleeping together in one room. Um, very difficult circumstances, some of them very, very, very impoverished circumstances. We were able to take them food, um, and that food is given through um, uh, the BGR, which uh, is kind of a wing of the International Mission Board, which our church is very, very involved in. Um, and so this is uh, enough food to kind of last for a period of time. And so, you know, we, we, we take them, uh, bags of, of food, and we sit down and we talk, and they are so open and willing to talk. And what made it really special in this situation uh, was that Carrie was able to tell these families that you know Thurman is the pastor of the church that made the Christmas stockings that she received. So we've got a group of ladies at this church that make hundreds of Christmas stockings that are sent to Thailand and then uh, they are, are, are packed with things there. Well, all of these families that we were visiting had received these Christmas stockings. And so like, it was just like this open door where these people had, had, had received love you know, from our church and, and here we were and you know, that just kind of pave the way to, to be able to share um, with them. And so uh, I was able to share with all these families kind of what, you know, you got these Christmas stockings. Here, here's kind of what that, here's kind of what that means to us. And it's able to talk about Jesus and here's what the birth of Jesus means and here's, here's, here is why God sent his son. And, and here's what Jesus did, that Jesus lived the perfect life that, that we could never live. And then I got to talk about Easter, that he died for our sins and he rose from the dead, that we can have forgiveness and that we can have new life. It, it was just, 
it was just one of the most <laughs> blessed times uh, that I have ever, ever had in my years in the ministry to be able to do that, to be able to share the gospel with these precious people and the work of Christ that he took our condemnation for us on the cross, that he rose from the dead. Well, friends, he didn't do all of that just so that we could be in a holding pattern with our lives unchanged between now and heaven. He, he did that so that our lives can be changed in the present as well. And that's where Paul is moving here as he, as he moves on to verse four. I want us to look at verses three and four together to kind of see the context of this. He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see that word walk there in verse four, right? That means to, to live. It means our lives are, are transformed by the spirit that we walk no longer according to the sinful nature, but the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now look at the beginning of verse four. You see a purpose clause here, right? He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So this leads to two questions, okay? First of all, what is the righteous requirement of the law? And second, in what sense is that fulfilled in us? us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let's take them one by one. First of all, what is he talking about when he talks about the righteous requirement of the law? Well, it comes down to one word, love. Love. One day a man came up to Jesus and he says, what's the greatest commandment in, in the law? And how did Jesus respond? He said, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You show love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Um, so in what sense is that fulfilled in us? Well, there are a couple of things that are going on here. First, first of all, if you look at kind of the, the, the flow of the whole context, we don't want to look at verse 4 in isolation. This is all one sentence. It's one sentence in English here. It's one sentence in Greek. It kind of all flows together. So let's kind of look at uh, verses 3 and 4 together again, okay? He says, by sending his own son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So when you look at the whole context here of verses three and four together, part of what Paul is saying here 
is that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us because we are united to a savior who perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And, and, and Jesus' perfect life and his atoning death for us on the cross, his work is applied to our account because we are united to him. So New Testament scholar Douglas Moo says this about Jesus. As our substitute, Jesus satisfied the righteous requirement of the law, living a life of perfect submission to God and laying upon him the condemnation due all of us, God made it possible for the righteous obedience that Christ had earned to be transferred to us. So that's part of what he's talking about here when he talks about the, the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. He's talking about the fact that we are united to a savior who perfectly fulfilled the law of God. But I think something else is, is going on here too. He's talking about the way that the Spirit transforms our lives when we come to know the Savior. Look at verse 4 again. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. In other words, when God saves us, he, he transforms our hearts, right? He takes hearts of stone. And as Ezekiel says, he, he turn, he, God says in Ezekiel, he turns them into hearts of flesh, right? He, he removes our heart of stone. He gives us a, a heart of flesh. And he gives us his spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us new want-tos, new affections, new desires, so that we, we have a new desire to obey God and we have a new power to obey God. We are no longer slaves to sin. And the Spirit empowers us and transforms us so that we have a desire to, to love God. We love God and we have a desire to obey him because we love him. And he, and he transforms the way that we look at people horizontally. And he gives us the power to love other people. You know, even to love people that are difficult to love. Because God loved us when we were difficult to love. Right? And so part of what he's talking about here is, is that, that through the gospel, the, the spirit, you know, transforms us and empowers us to to, to love God and to love others because we have been loved. You know, my ability to kind of keep up with uh, the news in America was spotty over the past couple of weeks, um, but uh, was able to kind of check in uh, here, and, here and there. And uh, I, I, I saw uh, the part of that, that the royal wedding 
had taken place. Now, that's not something that I would have sat down and watched the whole thing had I been in the United States, okay? Uh, maybe certain members of my family would have. I would not have been one of them. Um, but I did, was able to check the news to say, hey, there's been this big wedding uh, in, in, in England. Um, but then uh, what was really as intriguing to me as a preacher uh, was, was the little sermon that took place at the wedding that had a lot of uh, royals and Hollywood types kind of squirming in their seats. Um, and so I was able to go on and kind of look at about, you know, 10 minutes of the, the pastor's uh, sermon uh, where uh, he took the opportunity to talk about a greater love, right? A greater love than just kind of the romantic love of these two people. He took the opportunity to tell about the love of the ultimate bridegroom of Jesus for us. Which, and, and a wedding is such an appropriate time to do that because I want to tell you, we can't love one another in marriage without a greater love enabling us to do that. And we certainly can't love our enemies without a greater love enabling us to do that. We, we love, why? First John 4.19, because he first loved us. Because Jesus loved us. And when we come to experience that of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out. You know, he empowers us to, to love. To love him because we've first been loved and to love one another because we've been loved. Now, what we're gonna do over the next few weeks is just kind of, kind of drill down and walk through these verses of the great eight and the implications of what that means and living life in spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, uh, these, this eighth chapter of Romans is so rich. Lord, we, we thank you um, for, uh, for giving us uh, the revelation of, of your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the work of Christ. Lord, we thank you that we get to live all of life under the banner of no condemnation. We thank you that we have been set free by the spirit of life. And Lord, Lord, we pray that our lives would just reflect that. And as we just continue to pray, listen, I would ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know this savior? Have you opened up your heart to him? Have you turned to him in repentance and in faith? He loves you. That love is demonstrated by his death for sinners like you and me on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He reigns as king today. Turn today to King Jesus. Say, Lord, I give you my life. I welcome you into my life as my savior and my king. The spirit of God it's working in your life right now for that to happen. We wanna be able to talk with you. We wanna be able to pray with you. We're gonna be here during our time of invitation. We'll be here after our service. Hey, just come up and share. I think God is speaking to me. The Spirit is speaking to me. As a believer, what is God saying to you today about life in the Spirit? How's God working in your life? Let's pray through that. Let's talk about that. God speaking to your heart, 
Say, I want to be a part of this church family and what God is doing here. We want to welcome you to come. As others stand and sing in a moment, we want to, we want to welcome you and just, just come alongside um, and pray with you about that, about kind of, kind of being a part of this family together at First Baptist. We want to welcome you. And so, Father, have your will, have your way, the power of your spirit in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.